Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio with me, Joe Moffat. Today is show number 511 and we're going to be talking about diversity without the cliches. Uh, but by way of an introduction to Engage for Success, Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement, and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country, and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. So do visit us at engageforsuccess.org, where you can learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'm Joe Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts of Engage for Success Radio. But as with everyone who's involved in the movement, we're all volunteers and we give our time and energies to the movement um, pro bono. And we all have day jobs. And mine is uh, Managing Director and Founder of Woodread, which is a specialist creative agency where we use the tools, the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees. Um, so today's special guest I'm delighted to welcome uh, is Simon Fanshaw. Simon is co-founder of Diversity by Design. And as I say, we're going to be talking about today's topic, which is to explore the concept of diversity without the cliches. Um, so welcome to the show, Simon. It's, it's great to have you with us. Hello. Thanks for having yeah, my pleasure. So I asked you, as a result of having met you at the Health and Wellbeing at Work uh, event at the NEC back in March uh, earlier this year, uh, you were doing, uh, uh, you were speaking at the Employee Engagement and Values and Culture Stream um, at Health and Wellbeing at Work, and I, I, I really loved what you had to say, um, and I always make it my business when I'm hosting or chairing those kind of events to make a little list of people I'd like to invite onto the radio show. So <laughs> I'm very pleased that you said yes. So welcome. Um, it's taken us a few months to get the date organized, but it's great to have you here. Um, and that's our fault rather than yours, because we're our, our waiting list for the radio show, uh, we booked about the four, five, six months ahead now um, in terms of guests. So great, great to have you here at last. Um, so over the next half hour, um, I, really, I think there's probably four things um, that I want to explore around this topic of diversity without the cliches. First of all, it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how you came to be doing the work that you're doing in the, in the field. Um, also, I think it's always good to define our terms in these kind of conversations, especially with a term that is so widely kind of and possibly a little casually banded about. So it'd be great to hear how you define diversity. And then um, I know our, our topic, in the, those who've read the blurb uh, on today's show will, will know that your view is that this, concept, this, this practice needs rescuing. And, and I want to explore that in a, in a lot more detail. You know, what, what do, why does it need rescuing? What does it need rescuing from? Mm -hmm. um, and then finally, for our listeners, um, who I'm sure will still very much be, be listening to us by then, I want to talk about some tools and suggestions as to how we do this right. You know, how do we do it without the cliches? How do we, how do we rescue uh, the, the, this concept and practice of diversity? So those, those are sort of four areas, I think. So um, okay. does that sound all right to you? Yeah, no, you, 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 lead, you lead me. 
I will lead, you will follow. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, let's kick off then with a little bit about you, how, who you are and, and, and kind of what brought you into this field? How did you come to be doing the work that you're doing? Because I think you're, you're co-founder of Diversity by Design, aren't you? Yes, I, I suppose it started, uh, or, or, or I, I have a slide which I put up by way of introduction to myself, and I always say to the people I'm talking to, this is this is a way of explaining why I think what I think and, and, and okay. why I think it. And it starts with the experience of Stonewall, which I was of which I was one of the six co-founders in 1989. And I always say to people, you know, if I hadn't been us six, it would have been another six. I mean, it, the time was absolutely right. But what mm -hmm. was interesting to me was in, when, it, when I look back on it, I realized I learned one very, very important thing. And, it, and if you look back on the history of uh, changes in the law towards full equality for lesbians and gays in Britain, you realize that they were all achieved without asking people to take a view about homosexuality. So if you go right back to Wolfenden, 1954, when the Wolfenden Commission was report was commissioned um, mm -hmm. on prostitution and homosexuality. Wolfenden, the chair of the report, said, to be blunt, the question in front of us is whether or not the state has a role or the law has a role in people's personal morality or immorality. He wasn't charged with the task of asking Britain whether either prostitution or homosexuality was a good thing or a bad thing. What he was tasked with doing was saying, should we intervene in people's personal choices? Now, What's interesting about that was that it, by 1967, that had achieved a broad consensus, not that homosexuality was a good thing or a bad thing. Actually, by and large, it was thought to be a bad thing. But the consensus that was achieved was that people should not be penalised for being mm -hmm. who they were under the law. And that continued. So when Stonewall happened, um, it, well, when the 80s happened, I mean, we had gone through 10 years, really, from the first death of somebody from AIDS in Britain in 1981, I think, through to mm -hmm. 1987, when um, some right-wing uh, politicians invented uh, Section 28, some of your listeners might remember, which had a very peculiar formulation, which was the prohibition of the promotion of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. But even then you look back on it and realize that wasn't really about us. We were just a handy tool to beat what the tabloids used to call then the loony left authorities. So what's the point? The point is this, is that when we started Stonewall, if you'd gone out and asked people, do you think homosexuality is a jolly good thing or morally acceptable? We were kind of pretty much 80-20 down, 90-10 down. We didn't ask people that. We asked mm. them whether or not they thought in principle there would be a group of people in Britain who should be discriminated as a group under the law in relation to the armed services, in relation to you know, the fostering and adoption of children, in relation mm -hmm. to employment discrimination, in relation to all those things. And of course, even people who are religious, who often have a theological or what they would call a moral view of homosexuality, Catholics understand what it's like to be discriminated against as a group under the law. My yes. point being, we built broad coalitions, and I was only involved for the first five or six years or whatever, but we continue mm -hmm. to build broad coalitions about bigger questions. In organisations, what I do is say to people, look, all you've got in common, you know, whether you're making pizzas or housing people or, you know, manufacturing widgets, all you've got in common is manufacturing the widget, right? So mm -hmm. what you've got in common, what you've got to work out is how can you collaborate together, bringing each of your differences towards that common aim. 
And that's what I learned from Stonewall, is you don't force people into forms of agreement. What you do is you engage people in forms of collaboration in pursuit of a common aim. You, so, find, you find common ground. You find common well, you, ground. Yeah. You don't even need to find it in an organisation because you've got it. I mean, right. if, I was working with a housing association, big housing association today. You know, mm-hmm. that's what they do. I mean, they manage X tens of thousands of people's homes. So they've got mm-hmm. a whole set of things they've got to do to do that. And what they've got to do is, organize. I mean, all, I mean, when you turn up at work, you don't know the people already, do you? No. <laughs> so you're thrust together. And then you, you know what your common aim is. The key thing is how do you do that best? So that was that was kind of how I got into it. I, I, I realised that that was that that was a an analogy. What we'd done at Stonewall was a powerful analogy for an organisation and bringing about real real effectiveness in organisations. And of course, once you start to talk about people bringing difference to organisations, then you're starting to get into that territory, which is about what people call diversity. Right, okay, which very smoothly and neatly leads us on to then what you, how, we, how would you define diversity in a, in a societal but then also in an organisational sense and do those, two, do those things differ, those two well, definitions? My definition doesn't, but the way in which it's used, I think, is, is I mean, I mm-hmm. think diversity has been distorted. I think diversity has been distorted to create... A, a pra- but through the practice of people in organisations to create, a, a, to use it as a tool of conformity. In other words, it's become a set of rules and prohibitions, as has inclusion has been distorted to mean if you don't think like this, speak like this and behave like this, we'll exclude you. Whereas what I think diversity means is it has two kind of focuses. One is that we know data tell us that certain groups of people do less well in certain circumstances than other groups of people. So we know that what are, there are what I call de- diversity deficits. Now, mm-hmm. you have to be absolutely clear about these deficits. You have to understand exactly why they're happening. So you can't use the cliches. You can't stop at the headlines and assume every disparity between men and women is about the difference between the sexes or every disparity between black and white is about race. But you've got to understand that there is the data tell us that there's group disadvantage and that you've really got to understand what's creating that deficit. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, when I wrote my book, uh, The Power of Difference, very reasonably priced, if I might say. Um, <laughs> and, and it's fine. in the Business Book Awards and the Charter Management Institute Book of the Year Award, I believe. Yeah, I won that. Gosh, a prize. That was so, I honestly, I was, <laughs> my, my smack has never been so gobbed, or my gob has never been so smack. And so, look, so for the book, what I did was, and I, I've, I've done this before, in fact, was I looked at the pictures of, all the people who are the chair, the chief executive, and the chief finance officer of the FTSE 100 companies. And all mm-hmm. I did was I looked at their pictures, and I, okay. from their pictures, I made a, 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 um, an assessment of whether they were male or female, or whether they were white or not white. Now, I might have made, mm-hmm. a, diff- I might have made a little error on the white, not white um, from mm-hmm. the photograph, but I tell you the mm-hmm. margin is so enormous. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. More, it's not statistically yeah. valid. Yeah. Yes, there are more white men called John, David, and Andrew in those 300 jobs than there are people who are female or people who are not white. Now, yeah. in fact, actually, when I did it again for the book, I, I, I realized 
that in fact a bit of progress you have to add the Michaels to make that work so hurrah oh okay okay <laughs> the arc of justice and all that and um, yeah. look the arc of history but, but look here's the point why is that happening so that is a clear data deficit you can look at the data it, the data tell you there's a deficit there why is it there are less women and less people of color now you could just say well it's sexism and racism and you could go to those chairs who are pointing those people and say you're sexist and you're racist they don't get you very far because mm. actually what's happening they don't think they are now the effect is exclusionary but actually what's happening is they are appointing people who they think have the qualifications, the gravitas, the experience that they think those jobs need. Now, what they're doing is therefore they're constantly replicating themselves. So in order to try and intervene on that, what you've got to say to them is, look, in your executive team or in your board, actually what you'll benefit from is a combination of different views and expertise and experiences and backgrounds. And that leads you on to the second focus of diversity, which is the diversity dividends. So to me, what diversity means is it means focusing on the deficits, but really understanding them and not sloganeering. And then it means then reaping the dividends, which is about seeing difference, valuing difference, and then combining difference. So you've got to do all three. And what you get out of that is, is you don't get total agreement from people you get the com precisely the combination of their difference. So at work, it's not who you are that matters, it's what you bring through who you are and how you understand what other people bring through who they are and how you then understand to combine that in order to collaborate, in order to achieve the objectives that you set yourself. Got you, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. That makes, that makes eminent sense. So why then, um, do you think this whole practice needs rescuing? Does it need rescuing because people are focusing on the wrong things? It needs or, rescuing or what? because, well, what's happened, it's now, it now gets attacked from two, it gets, or it gets distorted from two ends. It gets mm -hmm. distorted by, let's broadly say the left, by identity politics. The left have a, 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 a kind of adopted this idea I, I, I call it, uh, in order to characterise this, I call them the as a generation. You know when somebody begins a sentence, they go, as a man, as a woman, as a black person, as a gay man, mm -hmm. and so on, mm -hmm. you know, as a middle class Wally. Mm -hmm. What they're doing... That's, that's me. Kind of, that's me too. <laughs> actually, I, I'm not, people say I'm middle class, I'm actually upper class, so let's be oh. clear about that. Oh, let's um, get that right. Sorry, yes, my apologies. So, but when people say that, what they're doing is they are trying to justify and give value, and in some senses, moral value, to what they're saying because of who they are. The idea that I am black and therefore I have a view of racism that no one else can understand, and that, you know, what happens then is that white, white people are then told that they must defer to the opinions of black people about racism. Now, quite clearly, black people have an experience of, right, of racism that white people don't have. Mm. That doesn't mean to say, though, that white people and black people shouldn't join together to defeat racism and learn from each other about what that means. The mm -hmm. problem with diversity is it's too often practiced, is that these identities then become, in a sense, sacred. 
as a gay man. As a, and what you find in organizations is that staff networks, and particularly a younger generation of employees, although they're not so young now because they've risen into middle management, they have adopted this way of thinking. So what's happening is that the, the, the grown-ups, if you like, the senior people who are running the organizations, actually can't argue with them because the staff groups go, my identity is, gives me a validity, gives what I say a validity. That's mm -hmm. nonsense. Number one, it's nonsense because not all gay people, not all black people, not all women, not all, we don't all think the same. Mm -hmm. You know, CEOs say to me the whole time, I need more women. And I go, well, let's pop out in the high street and get six assaulted then, shall we? Women yes. aren't, you don't come as a job lot, do you, Joe? I mean, no, no, you know, no, we no, need to know. No, no, absolutely not within, within those categories you've just listed, but also exactly. then that whole, in, that whole kind of intersectionality. You know, what, what about black women? What, you know, what about well, gay black women? <laughs> there is, but again, you see, there's an idea too that, that, that you know, the more so-called intersectional you are, somehow the more you know, more validity you have in this kind of oppression Olympics, the more virtue you get from being black, female, da, 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 da. Look, the experience that people who are not white have in a majority white country when they walk along the street, it doesn't matter whether you're a judge or whether you're a street cleaner. If you're black, you'll experience racism at some stage during your day mm -hmm. or your week. Mm -hmm. that is, but on the other hand, not all racism is about color and race. So anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Eastern European racism, racism against mm -hmm. the Irish and travellers. So it's not always about colour. Racism can come no. in lots of different ways, etc., etc. So what are we actually describing when we use the acronym BAME? Mm -hmm. There was a wonderful conference just before I wrote the book, actually, called Hashtag BAME Over. And it was great. <laughs> These people were going, stop forcing me into this acronym. And it's the same with LGBTQ+. I mean, with the plus on the end, I'm not entirely sure he's not invited to that group. I mean, I don't know what the plus means, but whatever. But LGB is sexual orientation. T is gender identity. Q is a word that I won't use because to me it's the gay N word. Lots of people, on the other hand, love it and think it's fantastic. Then plus means, I don't know, who's plus? Is that just everybody else? So mm. what do these categories mean? And what's happened is that we need to rescue diversity so that we recognize not just group disadvantage or group experience, but also individual ambition and aspiration and experience. People are individuals. We also need to recognize that, yes, what you learn and what you know is partly determined by that bigger identity. It might be religious or cultural or sexual orientation or whatever, but also you're a personality type. You know, you're an introvert mm -hmm. or an extrovert. Mm -hmm. The wonderful mm -hmm. phrase that Isabora Zach said, introverts think to speak and extroverts speak to think. So how you organise a decision-making process in a team that has introverts and extroverts. Yes. You know, this is the glory of it. Is to, is the, it's the complexity that matters in these things. And on the right, of course, what's happened is that because the left have created, I say the left, identity politics, let's call it that, has created mm -hmm. this agree with me on, or, you know, or you're a bigot. Yeah. What's happened is on the right wing, what you find is that they have now totally rejected the idea of diversity. So those of us in the middle, like me, who was working today with 10 co-chairs of the staff networks in this very big housing organisation, what I was trying to do with them was open up 
the deliciousness and the wonder of their ability to agree and disagree, discover difference between and within the membership of the staff networks that they were chairing, and then to understand how they can combine all that in order to make sure that they run people's homes even better than they do already. So, okay, so, you know, so I'm in the middle trying to fight off either end. Yeah, okay, which leads us really, I think, we've got about just under 10 minutes left, I think leads us then to say, okay, from from that experience with those staff networks, perhaps that you've had just recently, or and more broadly, what, what are the things that people listening to this, who, who may be listening to what you're saying and actually recognizing some of this, how do they, how do they start to do things differently in their organizations? Because of course, within a business or organization context, we like, we like to be able to group people into groups of same, don't we? It makes planning easier. So I talk about that lot over there and that lot over there and that lot over there and, and try, you know, ideally, we'd love a one size fits all, but that's you know, increasingly been proven not to, <laughs> we can't have that. So we wanna put people into little boxes if we can. So um, how do we go about getting people to think about this differently? What are some of the ideas and practical suggestions and tools and ways that you've, you've found successful? You're absolutely right. We navigate the world to some degree, to a large degree, by using categories. And that's hmm. how we understand the world. Of course we do. But the, but the first thing is that we can't use categories without curiosity. You know, okay. you, you can't make assumptions. That's one of the fundamentals. So what do you do practically? The first thing I think you do practically is you say to your organization, right, we need to understand our deficits and we really need to understand them in detail. So for instance, take this housing business that I was working with today. They have an in-house uh -huh. direct labor organization, the trades organization, it's 98% men. Uh -huh. Why is it 98% men? Because that's, that's the history of the talent uh -huh. pipeline into those trades. So sure. in order to do something about that, you can't suddenly say, well, we're gonna make it 50% women. I mean, you'd be bombed. You'd be stupid. You'd We're going to go out and employ 50% pl yeah. female plumbers. Yes. First thing to do, therefore, is to identify the deficits and really, really accurately identify where the where the blockage is in the pipeline and where is it in, up, or across the, your organisation. Mm -hmm. So be mm -hmm. accurate about deficits. Secondly, be accurate about what the dividends are. So when you think about diversity, my question is, why will diversity and what kind of diversity will help your organization, your department, your team, do what you're supposed to be doing better? Example, English literature department, this is some time back, a head of an English literature department, asked us at a university, asked us to help her add diversity to her staff. And I said, why? You know, uh -huh. precisely why. And she gave a brilliant answer. She said, because there is great literature in English being written in the world at the moment by people who are not English. She wanted, you know, Chimamanda Adichie on her staff. You know, oh, whatever. Yes. She yes. wanted those Fabulous. writers yeah, yeah. from the Caribbean, from Nigeria, from Kenya. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Joe. That would look like ethnic diversity. It wasn't ethnic diversity that she wanted. It was geographic and cultural diversity that she wanted. In other words, she was absolutely clear about what kind of diversity she wanted to enhance the teaching and research and the value of her course and the content and richness of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. so, so that's my first point. Accurate about the deficits, accurate about what the dividends are, and spend time really working on that. And with those staff networks, I was saying today, 
staff network, what is your contribution to solving the deficits and helping people in your network thrive in their careers? And what is your contribution to helping the strategy of the organization be more successful? Number one. Number two, not all language or behavior that upsets or offends us is malicious. I divide language and thought into, and behavior into three categories, careless, thoughtless, and malicious. Okay. So we're spending time at the moment working with organizations to develop ways in which you can make a prima facie assessment. Is this malice or not? Because if it's malice, it goes down a route and there's evidence and there's a, there's a consequence. If it's mm-hmm. thoughtless and careless, what we need to do then is we need to work out what do we want out of the fact that we've been a bit clumsy with each other. What do we want out of this? Because unfortunately what's happened at the moment is that the way I describe it is that point and punish has sub- been substituted for talk and learn. People don't talk and they don't have dialogue. They don't change ideas and see what we can do about it. They point and punish. So my mm-hmm. view would be when things go wrong, we've got to cre- managers have got to learn to create spaces that are safe for disagreement not from disagreement, because that mm-hmm. kind of conflict and disagreement is inevitable. So okay, so can I, can, I just, can I just ask you to repeat that again? Sorry, Simon, just repeat that again, because I think it's a, it was a nice, it's a nice little soundbite. You want to replace point and punish, which I think we can right. understand what we mean by that. We can replace yes, point and punish with sharing talk, and learning. Did you talk and learn? And, talk and learn. Talk and learn. Right, right, yeah. You know, because, because people need to, what happens is, so... So somebody says to me, look, stupid example, but I mean, I was on a plane once and I got bumped up, hurrah. There I was a mm. business club, lovely napkin, stalk, fantastic. I'll have another one of them. Said to the air hostess, yeah. could I have a second one, take home so we can have them for supper. She said, you don't want two, love. She said, you want eight. Come with ah. me. So I'm off there, I'm in the galley. She's counting these things out to me and she goes, um, oh, she said, I'm so sorry. Of course, they're not washed, she said. But when you get home, you can ask your wife to pop them in the washing machine. And I said to her, there are two things about that, I said. Number one, it hasn't happened, I've got a husband. But what really upsets me is you don't think I can use a washing machine. Now, it's a silly example, but take it up a, a notch or two or three or four. Mm. Yes, people, we say things to each other that are thoughtless. That, in other words, we don't understand the, the effect. The effect and our intention are separate. Now, saying I didn't mean it is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Intention does matter, though. It's the difference between murder and manslaughter. Mm, Intention matters, but what do you want out of that situation when it happens? Do you want to point and punish? Or do we want to make sure that there's a conversation, a dialogue, an understanding from that person, what the other person felt or experienced, and an understanding from the person who felt and experienced it that the other person actually didn't mean it, had a different conception, there's a dialogue there. What comes out of that? Progress change and here's the thing it won't happen again everybody mm. learns mm. so how can we create that in in across all things rather than what you find at the moment which is this bizarre notion of inclusion that says actually if you don't agree with me or the weaponization of offense if you offend me mm. then you're the other side of the line what happened to nigel farage somebody with whom i have no empathy or sympathy politically or otherwise nonetheless mm ever said things that are not legal or whatever. He's been shown in court to have been criminal or in any way, uh, you know, defamatory or whatever. Coots Bank said to him, we're going to exclude you from banking at Coots 
because we're an inclusive organisation. That's not mm. inclusion. That is no. not inclusion. Excluding people is not inclusion. Mm. Now, my point is, and what I was discussing with the groups today, which is really interesting, they say, you know, freedom of exchange, be yourself, bring your best self to all that kind of stuff. So, okay, what are the parameters, though, on that? Are there limitations mm. on that? And I say to people, the limitation is what enables or doesn't enable you to work well together. Right. So if I'm going to be my, if I want to be my true authentic self, uh, but actually by so doing, I'm going to cause major eruptions in the team in which I operate, then that's unacceptable. I would not use the word unacceptable. I would say that's a subject for discussion because I think you need to understand that what you're doing is being very disruptive to people. And that can be either way. That can be somebody stamping their foot and insisting that um, you call him a he, him a she, Mm. or it could be somebody who's expressing opinions which actually are offending people who are, he's white and they're not white and he's offending them. A black Mm. woman said in this group today, she said something really interesting. She said, I've worked with people, she know, she said, who I know, you know, have a strong white identity was the way she put it. Mm -hmm. She said, but I can work with them as long as we can work together, that that doesn't come up. That they, and I said to her, you mean as long as they don't treat you in a way that's inferior? She said, absolutely right. As long as we're equals and we get on and we do the job, what yeah. they think in their private life is, is different. If they, bring, if they suddenly turn around to me and said, I think you're less intelligent than white people, that would be different. That was a different thing, yeah. Simon, we have absolutely run right up against time and I'm going to have to uh, say thank you so much uh, for being our guest today and giving people a lot of food for thought. And I I think we could probably talk about this for longer. Um, But thank you for listening to Engage with Success Radio. Uh, Don't forget you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Just visit engagewithsuccess.org. If you want to get involved in the movement, get in touch at the same address as well. So uh, to our special guest, Simon Fanshaw, co-founder of Diversity by Design. Thank you and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.